0: This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from allcomic.com, episode 43. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton, and uh, yeah, unfortunately, this podcast is also late, uh, just like our last one. And uh, speaking of our last episode, um, last episode, we had Marlene First on who is an editor for uh, the series that we're going to be talking about this episode, "Astra Lost in Space from Kenta Shinohara, uh, the author of series such as Sket Dance, which we've also talked about. Um, so if you have not listened to the last episode, uh, as I explained last episode, a um, little redundant, uh, we basically had Marlene on to talk about Astro Lost in Space, but... Um, Two hours of that particular recording session were spent basically talking about uh, Marlene and uh, basically her journey to becoming an editor at Viz Media, uh, which is all filled with all kinds of interesting stories of different internships she's had at very interesting companies, uh her bumping into famous Japanese voice actors and whatnot. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I would highly suggest doing so. Uh, we also talk about... Uh, I, uh, at the time, a recent jumpstart, uh, Bose Beats. Um, so, you know, we, we talk about a bunch of interesting stuff on that episode, basically leading up to this episode, which is our Astro Lost in Space discussion review thingy. Um, so again, apologies for this episode being about a month late as I'm uh, just checking my uh, podcast app on my phone here. Oh boy, yeah, about a month late. So I'm not going to make a bunch of excuses. All I'm going to say is, again, uh, more life stuff on my end kind of came up when I thought I was done every time I, every time I think, man, I have a moment to relax and actually do whatever, do whatever I want to do. Something else always has to come up. And that's just how life is, unfortunately. Um, and, uh, you know, just between that and, um, the second half of our recording session, uh, back then when we recorded, uh, with Marlene, uh, Sid's audio got a little, um, got a little, janky um a few technical issues kind of came up a little bit and uh Sid had to uh uh not I guess not to let the cat out of the bag but Sid did have to record a few parts of his uh audio just to make this thing listenable um so again not throwing Sid under the bus I'm just letting people know you know why we were late um just a a lot of stuff basically kind of kept us from getting this episode out sooner than we wanted to like this episode this episode really should have been out like I th- really at the end of January, but, uh, we're here now and that's all that matters. Um, and, uh, we have a, f- we have a few episodes already kind of planned after this one, which, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and save those for the end of the episode. Um, but for now, um, let's not waste any more time. Uh, let's just get right into our discussion of Astro Lost in Space by Kenta Shinahara.
1: Humanity once lived on a planet called Earth. When the people of Earth learned that an enormous asteroid was on a collision course with their world, they decided to migrate to a new planet to escape extinction. Paraspora ad astra. Through hardships to the stars. With that inspiring phrase at their slogan, humanity rallied together and began a vast and far-reaching space exploration project to find a new home. After the plan's inception, explorers miraculously discovered a planet closely resembling Earth only 5,000 light years away. They dubbed it... Astra. And that is the subject of Kenta Shinohara's Astra Lost in Space, his manga that he's been serializing in Shonen Jump Plus from 2016 through 2017 and has been available on Wiz's free section on the Shonen Jump website. And we are here to talk about it today. And joining us, we have a very special guest. The editor for Astral Awesome Space, for wiz Media, and Shonen Jump. We have Marlene
2: First. Um, yay! (laughs) 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 Woo, Astra! (laughs) Yay, Astra. Astra, Astra, Astra. It's great. You should, everyone should read it.
1: So the premise of Astra is that there's this group of nine kids who are going on a school field trip to Planet Camp, which is literally a planet designed for camping, as its name suggests. None of the kids have ever met each other before. At least, most of them haven't. Supposedly, the point of that was to group up kids who normally wouldn't work with each other and force them to build upon their teamworking skills. So they're dumped on this planet where they're supposed to just live there survive for a few days without adult supervision, and take care of Kitteri's much younger sister Funika as an additional task. At least, that's what should have happened. As soon as they arrive on the planet, a mysterious wormhole appears, and they get sucked through it into outer space. Fortunately, there happens to be a ship nearby. Unfortunately, they weren't transported into space above the planet they were on. They were transported many light years away. And it will take them a month to make the journey home. There aren't enough supplies to make the trip on the ship. So they devise a plan to make a pat of planets to stop at along the way. They figure out that there are five planets within reachable distance between one another. Where they can stop and refuel their resources. And this will just barely allow them to survive the long journey back. So it's Basically a space survival story. They have to travel to these different planets. They have to work together, get to know each other better, and reconcile any misunderstandings between them. They have to survive on many strange planets with crazy climates and creatures. Like a planet where the top predator in the ecosystem happens to be a mushroom, a fungus. So they have to deal with all these things as they make their way back home. But also, they uncover a conspiracy... It wasn't by accident or chance that they were attacked by the wormhole and transported into space. Someone planned this, and someone has also sabotaged the ship they're on, and is still trying to kill them even now. So they also have to figure out who this traitor in the group is. So there's also this mystery, a thriller element to the story as they slowly gather Clues to unravel and expose the traitor's identity, and why someone had tried to assassinate them in outer space.
0: Yeah, like the farther you read into the series, like that's just the tip of the iceberg as far as like all the conspiracy goes. Like it's pretty amazing.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I read like, or I, somebody sent me a review of Astra and it was weird to me. Like, they're like, Oh, if you like cute girls in like mindless oh space, whatever, like you'll like the series, but otherwise you won't. And I was just like, Did you read this? Like, did you finish volume one? Like, volume one itself ends on like, like somebody cut out the, the parts of the communication system and they did it recently. Like, already at the end of volume one, we know that, that what we're, reading isn't what we thought it was for the other whole part of volume one. And that just sets up the first mystery. So you got like the potential murderer on the group who's like out of their mind and whatever. Then the next big conspiracies of like, oh, Ulgar's brother was killed for some reason. And we don't know why, but we know that this is the thing. We also get that like most of these kids are adopted or their parents don't really love them. There's also the scenes with the adults that you get that are like, Oh, like we work with together. Like, uh, Kiteri's mom and Zach's dad are like, Oh, we always work together a lot. Um, in even though like we're completely separate things, like in our fields and people are starting to talk about like our relationship and like we're not really in an official relationship, but we do see each other a lot. Like it's hinting that they actually work together more than they should be kind of thing rather than them actually being together. And even from there, you get the whole, uh, subtle hints. I, I, I would buy into the theory of the Shar's flashback color discrepancy. Uh, you heard, if you remember, like, um, that was the one flashback that I believe that didn't have, um, that was like only gray-toned on the background. Interesting. Rather than black or whatever, something like that. Uh, I do buy into that, that it was like, oh, he was lying.
0: Oh, okay, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. That was a good tell. A sign that something was amiss. Even
1: when we first meet him, there's a disconnect between his supposed background and his actions and personality. Yeah. But that was a very cool, subtle, artistic touch where Shinohara subliminally lets you know that, hey, something is off here in what we're seeing. And that there's something about Charles's past that seems fictionalized, constructed, false.
0: Yeah. See, I didn't even, I didn't even know, I didn't even pick up on that detail. That's really interesting.
2: Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not saying that that's exactly why he did it. I don't know if that's why he did it. I just remember reading theories on that and like looking back on it. I'm like, oh, I could buy into that that theory on that one. Um, so you got stuff like that. Even at the end of it, where he's, like, sitting there, like, I'm sorry, Sarah. It's like, why are you apologizing, like, looking at her picture? It, I don't know. Um, also, if you notice very, very early on, when the orb attacks the second time, or what ends up being known as the Wormhole Leader, um, when it appears the second time, the second he says to uh, – the second Ari says that she has a photographic memory, the orb disappears. Like, the second she says it, Mm. it's just the next panel is, oh, it's gone. Wow. And that was the moment where Sharks realized that, okay, this girl has the two different color eyes, and she has the photographic memory. She is Sarah. She's Sarah's clone. And I'm... Can't kill her. That's
1: incredibly smart storytelling. Astra is really rewarding to reread because Shinohara planned it so well, and the storytelling is so tight and top-notch that everything comes together in a way that feels like Shinohara had everything planned out from the start, and there's so many details that point to that truth. Many seemingly minute details are later recontextualized in impressive ways. Shinohara really had a sense of what he wanted to do with the story and the direction he wanted to take his characters from the beginning, and he followed it through to the end. His storytelling is concise and precise, and it all flows so naturally. I think that's what makes it so rewarding to read, that it was a fully realized story from the start. At least, that's how it feels.
2: Yeah, like... Shinohara's foreshadowing came down to, like, as early as a panel in Chapter 1. And I I still feel stupid that I didn't notice it. Like, it's such a subtle detail! Like, when you go back... And we knew! We knew that Kanata was super athletic, even before that, because he's, like, the one who's like, quickly saves this girl and whatever and whatnot. And you knew in Chapter 1 that he was, like, really athletic and even by chapter two you knew and it's just like Shar should not have been there it's just the whole time like it was so obvious (laughs) and it's set up in such a way where you like start kicking yourself like
0: oh my god (laughs) (laughs) um i guess um i I don't know if we really want to go through like every character because there's a lot of them i think we
1: should because every character is interesting but luckily, because the series is so short, there isn't an incredible depth of stuff to say about everyone. At least not in the same way you would have for a long-running series. We could devote a whole podcast analyzing a single character from Gandama, for instance. Mm, but because yeah. Aster is so short, everyone gets to have their time to shine and has a well-realized character arc. It never feels like we lose focus with any of them during the course of the story. The cast remains very connected to these nine people. Ten later on when they introduce Paulina. But yeah, everyone seems to have their moments and get their development. Though there are definitely characters that get more focused than others. Kanata, Ares, and Shars in particular.
2: Yeah, and Zack is the one who figured out everything. Kiteri and Phoenicia's like similarities really kicked off everything. Obviously, like Shars is my favorite character. Luca and Ulgar are like a close second though. Like I've been pretty open about that. But like I thought I think that that as a platform, Jump Plus gives a lot of creative freedom that the competition heavy print magazine uh doesn't really allow for in the same way. And I thought it was interesting having a character who is is openly Well, later, he's openly bisexual and also intersexual. I think it's interesting that a manga actually had anything like that, especially a shonen manga, under the Jump brand, essentially. And I think that Luka and Ulgar's Mm -hmm. growth is some of the best in the series. Shars Mm -hmm. kept his cool until Mm he kind of lost his shit in... Chapter like 42 he actually like really kept his cool which was kind of surprising god damn it um so yeah i think that especially ulgar who i'll say is the person who had to do all of the scripts for the series and the majority of his dialogue for a long time was shut up so um (laughs) And later on, he's like, Captain, don't you have, like, one of your your sayings for us to, like, make the situation better? Stuff like that. And he starts opening up to people. So Ulgar, I think, had really good growth. Uh, Yunha, to obviously. Um Ares was always very positive throughout the whole adventure. Um, yeah, stuff like that. Um
1: <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to speak about Luca because I was very pleasantly surprised by how his character was handled. Like you said, we don't often see shonen manga, especially shonen jump manga. They pick non-binary characters in such a respectful way. When Luka is revealed as intersex, they properly explain what that means, and the other characters treat him very respectfully. They don't make any jokes at his expense about his intersex body. Any jokes like that are stuff that he says himself on
0: his own terms. Which is great. <laughs>
2: Yep. <laughs> I, I love how much he teased Olgar, That was it's so cute. a very good timing. And it's yeah. so
1: nice to see an openly bisexual character being portrayed in a shonen manga too. Because so often you might have a character be implied to be interested in both men and women, but they never come out and say that explicitly. But Luca outright says that he finds the guy's hot and the girl's cute and that he's attracted to both. It's very refreshing to see an unequivocal acknowledgement of a character's bisexuality.
0: I mean,
2: I'll... Sorry.
0: (laughs) I I was gonna say, like, I I said it on the last podcast, and I'll say it again, like, I feel like, as far as shonen manga goes, I feel like Shinahara really is the best at conveying uh, these kinds of characters very respectfully, and I really do appreciate that.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, if I had read Skit Dance before Astra... I might have not been a surprise, because in the final arc of Skep Dance, Shinohara depicts a transgender character extremely well, and I was really impressed with that. I really applaud Shinohara for how he writes non-binary characters. So often, characters like that are played for laughs and are the butt of a joke. But Luca is awesome. He's just a great character who is not defined by his intersexuality, but it's still an important part of his character that ties into his development that's done in a touchingly empathetic and intelligent way.
2: Uh, when it comes to, like, also Luca as a character and just his perspective on things in the series, like, after they find out they're all clones and whatnot, Um, all the characters are kind of, like, really down on themselves, and then you go to Luca, who's, like, I've already kind of accepted in life that, like, things just happen as they happen, and I just gotta make the best of the situation and stuff like that. Like, I think that Luca, as a character, really added to, like, a different perspective for the whole, all the characters in the series, and I do like, actually, if you notice towards the end, like, in the last chapter itself, uh, Luca was drawn much more, like, feminine. Then he started out as and you got all the guys who are together minus ulgar who's off on his uh journalism stuff um but you got like Shars and kanata and zach together at the end you got your guys and you got luca hanging out with the girls and it was just like maybe he did change it. like we don't obviously know what he did with his gender identity in the end but like we you, it's pretty clear that he grew up in a way that maybe he is he did decide to go a different path or whatever, which I found really interesting with the change in his character design specifically. Um yeah, no, Luca was Shars was my favorite character for Shars reasons, but like Luca Luca close second, him and Mulgar together
0: personally um what i what i come to Shinahara for at this point is i just uh with, with luca in particular and a lot of like what happens in the final arc Get dance uh, like i i love that sh- i what i love about Shinahara's works is that he like Shinahara at some points well might as well might as well just like cut like he, he he might as well just write a footnote on 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 like certain pages of a series like hey it's okay to be yourself um i feel like when i read shinohara's manga i feel like he is telling me hey like these uh, like these characters are who they are and you should feel okay with who you are like that's that's such a big theme at the end of Sket dance and obviously that's a big part that like that leads to that sentiment leads to a great moment with luca that we were that you were just talking about where luca's just like i'm i don't really care where i came from like i'm me and that's all that matters and I think that's just, that's such a positive message that I really, I feel like we don't see enough of in shonen manga, personally. Or at least not in such a, like, earnest way, I guess.
1: It's definitely a common theme in shonen manga. But I think the way Shinohara does it so directly with the kind of stories he writes is just so powerful and impactful. It feels personal. Yeah, it's definitely... Like, I think that theme of being true to yourself, being comfortable with who you are, is like a huge overarching theme in Shinohara's works, and especially in Astra. And he ties it to a variety of relatable characters who you really empathize with. That grounding really elicits a lot of emotional power, especially when these characters are finally able to embrace themselves In Yunhwa's case, for example, she has no confidence in herself because of the way her mother raised her and put her down in life, so she tries not to speak or stand out, but she has this talent for singing and is able to become more comfortable letting out her voice. She realizes that there is something that she's good at, that there's something she can add that enriches the group, and she becomes more comfortable putting herself out there socially. She cuts her long hair, she takes off her glasses, and she starts being more open talking with people and letting them know her feelings. And that's a really simple but powerful character arc that I think can resonate with a lot of introverted people who might not think highly of themselves or have problems making friends. A lot of the character arcs are resolved well. Shinohara really kept good tabs on how each one was ending. What we see of the characters in the epilogue is satisfying, though of course I would have liked to have seen more of what they were up to, and some of them did get more attention than others. But while I'm not much of a shipper, I was definitely pleased at the implication that Luca and Olga are in a relationship since Olga is apparently spending a lot of time in Luca's house.
0: And you know what? So- something about that just feels right. Honestly. Yep. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I've said that like I wanted them to end up together. Um, <laughs> so it in my heart. <laughs> oh man.
1: <laughs> I'm interested that Charles is your favorite character, Marlene, because you found him so creepy at the beginning of the series, and you didn't trust him. You had speculated for a long time that he was a traitor. I mean, I'm sure your turnaround on him is tied to his development and what we learn about him later on, but it's interesting that your opinion of him seems to have risen quite a bit.
2: Oh, um, well, I, when it comes to the characters that I personally like, like, I really like the Eke event character who is kind of a jerk or clearly, like, subtly the bad guy, or is a bad guy and a total jerk, and characters like that, um, like, for example, like, my favorite character in, like, Fate, for example, would be, like, Gilgamesh. He's a given character who's also, like, super, super messed in the head. Um, in, like, or even, like, the character that's kind of, like, a little douchey. Um, like, for example, like, Hagakure in Bulls Beats was in there for, like, two panels. And I'm like, man, I already like this guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I know what his priorities are. Um... So like that's just the type of character that I like which is why Shars so is like my favorite character regardless like like oh he's super calm and collected but also super creepy um and that's that's what I like and he would just talk he would get aroused talking about science yeah. and like this <laughs> guy funny. this guy is hilarious like I, I, I could get behind this. This is good.
1: <laughs> yeah, he got quite excited when he got the opportunity to dissect things. <laughs>
2: oh, my God. I love uh, the four comas with, like, him. And then there's, like, the one with Kanata in the bath. And the other one with Zach in the bath. And, like, is just misunderstanding. I, I'm just like, this is perfect. Like where, like, <laughs> there's also, like, the really funny one um, about stars and like his weird mannerisms. And it's like, there's sometimes where he sneezes and it sounds like he's saying his own name. And I'm like, Oh, this is so <laughs> cute. <laughs>
1: those four comas were a Okay, if, if yeah.
0: we're ta- if we're talking about the four comas um I think my favorite one and I think I jokingly tweeted that Zach became my favorite character because, because of this one um I like the one where both Kanada and uh Kitari uh where the both of them are like I want something sweet I want sugar and and then uh, uh Zach fixes up something and he makes like this these two robots who like talk sweet to each other yes.
2: <laughs>
0: and they're both like really worried about
2: it
0: i thought that was the that was honestly probably the funniest joke in the entire series for me honestly i thought that was really great i wasn't expect that's that's a that is something i'm that is a joke i would expect in sket dance um it's so great
2: uh, there is um a lot of the uh plants <laughs> the plant names and the animal names were actually kinda of hard to translate. There was the uh, melon fruit or whatever. Uh, that was actually in the four comma and like my translator is like, what do we do? And I'm like, I don't know what we do. And then like we go to Annie, it's like, what do we do? And he's like, I don't know what we do. And like I'm talking about Lexi, he's like, we don't know either. Like like it was some of them were like in Japanese they made sense, but then like in English they didn't. Um, so there was that uh, for four commas, that was one of the four commas, or so I thought about it. Um, another, like, uh, the four commas were great. I'll try to think of, like, the ones that I really enjoyed. Um, like, a lot of them. <laughs> uh, oh, I like the one with the parents, the mommy and daddy of the ship, with the rebellious teenager. <laughs> Zach and Conata with Olgar just being like, shut up, mom, shut up, dad. And, like, young man, you're not gonna, like, take your meals in your room you have to be with everyone else and like oh don't bother him like stuff like that that was funny uh and it's like shut up shut up shut up
0: (laughs) i i think there was a four comma about this one um which really tapped into a relationship i wish we got more of um in astra was the kind of brotherly sisterly relationship with uh olgar and uh kiteri's little sister funi um oh my god
2: i, I wanted just, i really like, wanted
0: more of, more of that because like that's i feel like there's just so much potential for cute there and i'm like i the little bit of that i i, I like that we got but i really needed more of that honestly that was so adorable
1: <laughs> there's a lot of great humor in astral awesome space i think my favorite joke is probably when zach flatly reveals that he loves skittery and everyone is taken aback by his blunt honesty they all ask him what he likes best about her, and he's still oh God, states he has... that he thinks she's cute <laughs> and stuff. And then they have these wild, out of reactions because they can't take it. Zach's blunt honesty is too adorable for their hearts to handle.
2: Yeah, no, that was really funny. I was just like, he... Because it was just like, oh, yeah, no, like, of course we're getting married. Like, he says it, like, so casually, and it's just like... <laughs> She's, like, wait, what? And he's, like, yeah, no, like, we promised each other when we were five. So, like, of course, that's, like, it's just, like, this kid. It was, like, almost, like, um, like, Robo. <laughs> like, like it sounded like, like, like Robo would say. Like, oh, yeah, no, like, we said that. So, that's, like, obviously it. I just kind of understood that that's what was happening. <laughs> like... Like, Zach, his whole life was just, like, whatever they said when they were five, like, that was a thing. And he just kind of assumed that they were just going to get married no matter what, which is really cute. (laughs) He's saying all
1: these quirky, romantic things with a straight face with no hint of embarrassment at all.
2: It's like, of course she's really cute. Like, yeah, no, I think that she's adorable. Oh, I love her. Like, like the bored look on his face, like, dude, dude, please, like... at least like yeah change that was an
1: amazing
0: <laughs> it, it, it like it like gets to the point where like uh, aries wants to like poke more at zach and make him say more blunt things and they're and they just get more explosive that that gag was pretty funny yeah <laughs> um i think my favorite gag in the series is when um it i forget what chapter it is but it's it's pretty early on where um they all actually sit down and like eat together outside the spaceship and uh Aries, uh writes in her diary about how, like, you know, the, like, we still have a journey left to go through, but, like, I'm learning about everybody, and it makes me feel better, and Kanada's like, wait, I haven't introduced myself yet. What? I'm the main character. What? <laughs> They're all just, that, that, that I thought that was pretty good.
2: They're like, oh, but we already knew who you were, kind of. You kind of told us, like, five seconds into the manga. It's just like, okay. Oh, yeah, I liked how there was, like, um, like, that one really, like, almost fourth wall breaking thing it's like yeah really serious things could happen even if it's like a like hidden in a comedy manga or like something like that i think lucas says and they're like wait what (laughs) um there was a lot of good like funny moments a lot of them were 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 with shars and aries regarding food and like the yeah it was like one of them was like oh yeah i just made this really disgusting food like do you want to try it and she's like yeah of course like it's like it's so gross it'll make you want to retch. She's, she's just like sounds great. And I'm like, Ares, don't eat that. No. <laughs> like there's all these like really fun moments between Aries and Shars. I know like we're focusing on like main characters mostly. I feel bad, like you you thought had great had great growth as well. She just I feel bad, like she kinda felt like she was just there in the background even after she came out of the background. That's
0: pretty that's pretty tragically ironic <laughs> if you think about it. Um mm-hmm. She has, she has a good character arc, too. And um, personally, I think she's probably the cutest in the group. But you know, that's, that's just my bias. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I think Yunwa had a great moment in the final chapter where she sings a really sweet, emotional song that really touches upon the lessons they learned during their entire journey. So I think she had a very satisfying part to play in the conclusion. And even though she didn't get much more development after her main arc, I didn't think her presence diminished because she was still a part of everything they went through as a group, so she still felt relevant and involved in the story. But yeah, I would agree that Kanata, Ares, and Chars definitely get the most screen time and the biggest roles to play in the series' climax.
2: Yeah, Kanata, mm-hmm. Ares. I would say it was more like Kanata, Ares, Charles, Luca, and Ulgar were like the Oh, and Zack. And Zack were the and Zach, core, of course. core characters, and then Kidri kind of was there, like, to complain, and then...
1: Yeah, and she's also a vehicle for a lot of great humor.
2: Yeah, she, like, subtly pushed the plot. Funisha was there, obviously, um...
1: Yeah, Funaka probably has the least to do in the series. Since most of her stuff gets resolved on the first planet they visit and being a little girl she can't really help out much in the later adventures
2: yeah well i mean she had two big plot points it was um it didn't really translate well actually it was bigo the puppet uh their group it was more obvious in japanese like bigo the puppet and then their group beagle or b5 uh she had, so she has that purpose and then also the purpose of being like oh, I love my little sister, like, I want to really find out maybe my mom had an affair or something like that. And then they find out that Phoenicia is the clone of Kitori. So that was, like, Phoenicia's point, but she didn't really have any growth, but she was also, like, little. Though you were mentioning also the little sister and big brother Ulgar-Phoenicia relationship. It was, like, while it didn't happen too much during the manga, it was great that, like, at the end of the manga itself, like... Ulgar's is, like, picking Phoenicia up from, or, like, meeting uh, Paulina at the school and, like, talking to Phoenicia, being like, oh, yeah, like, go shopping. Like, something like that. And, like, it's clear that Ulgar still has some relationship with Phoenicia, which I thought was kind of cute. Yeah. (laughs) And Ulgar looks exactly like his brother. (laughs) Yeah,
0: he does.
1: (laughs) I mean, Shinohara set up the idea that these characters were clones of their parents because of subtle similarities of how identical the characters look to their parents, especially Kittery and Funeka, where a joke is made early on, explicitly commenting on how similar they look to each other, and then their uncanny resemblance is what leads them to figure out the
0: secret. Yeah, yeah. Can, can we talk? Can we talk about that for a second? Because man, I I feel so embarrassed. Because um um, I'm I'm sure maybe maybe Sid'll put a link to it in um in the show notes for the episode, but I. I I uh I recorded my thoughts on Astra as I was reading in a in a Twitter thread. Um you can follow me at SniperKing323. Um but uh so if, if you go through my thread you could see some of my like reactions and thoughts and like predictions on things like you know, like as as soon as as soon as they bring up the idea that uh that, that Phoenicia and uh Kiteri are like the same in a lot of uh, in a lot of ways, I'm you know, obviously, that's a red flag. And I'm like, they're totally gonna be clones, aren't they? What's great is that not only are they clones, but everybody is a clone. I was lit, I was legitimately not expecting that. Like, I, I love it. I love it just in stories in general, where it's like, oh, like, oh, the twist looks really obvious. But then like, they just kind of take it a step further. Like, no, it's it's the same way for everybody. Like, oh, everybody's like, I was literally like, wait, all of them? <laughs> like, just I love that so much because I totally wasn't expecting that at all. It's it One was so thing great
2: that I feel bad about um, was the Sarah and Aries thing. Um, so when we originally translated it, we had Selah there because um, we didn't know, and then. Partway through, I actually was told... Because I I, I was at I'm like, Andy, like, I had a random thought just now. Like, what if it's this? (laughs) And so, like, (laughs) we actually checked and it turned out... So we actually... We did change that. We've changed the whole... We we actually changed a lot in the GNs um, to correct a lot of the mistakes that we made of things that we found out later. Even, like, as simple as, like, Shars' last name being spelled wrong. Like, we didn't know until Volume 2 kind of thing. Um... And so, like, the whole Sarah thing, the whole time I was like, oh, what if, like, they know about the age thing with the memory transfer because Aries is actually, like, somebody who was transplanted into Sarah's mind or whatever to, like, try to wake her up or whatever. Not realizing that Shars had been lying the whole time kind of thing. So, I wish that was something that we did earlier with, like, not misspelling her name. Um because that would have been a more interesting way to theorize stuff. Um, But there was a while that I actually knew that truth because of the whole, like, changing of that kind of thing. And I was just like, the whole time, I'm like, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I don't want to say anything (laughs) else. Um, Obviously, anytime I ever found out something, because it was really funny, there was, like, clearly some people who were, like, oh, reading Jump Plus and then, like, acting as the – before it went simul, acting as though it was their predictions – And I'm reading it, I'm like, you can't fool me. The only person who's ever been able to spoil this manga for me is (laughs) Shinohara-sensei. Like, (laughs) so, so like, yeah. No, like, that part was kind of ruined for me, to be completely honest, because, like, I knew for a while on that. But clone-wise, I don't know. I felt like, in retrospect, that was, like, a really obvious answer. But, like, the whole time you're thinking, like, I don't know. It's really weird when you're like looking at the manga now you're like, "Oh man, I totally should have seen that all
0: come." Oh man, what what and, really like, what really wish- kind of um I guess uh, what, one red flag that kind of went off in my mind was the, that chapter where we do get to see the parents of everybody, you know, kind of convene and decide, "Oh yeah, let's I guess we let's let's not look for our children anymore. Like we spent too much we spent enough time on this. Like it's obviously like this obviously isn't going to work out. They have to be presumed dead or whatever. Um, and um, I forget which characters. I think um I think Luca's uh quote unquote father at the time. Um you know, before we find out about Luca, um, you know, like the, the, there's a there's a scene where um where he where I guess he, he's being interviewed by the press as he's heading off to his limo asking about how it feels to lose his kid or whatever I think and he I, he says something along the lines of like it feels like I'm being torn apart inside and that that always kind of stuck with me because it's like because I'm pretty sure him and like an and another character says this or something it's said at least like twice and that made me think like oh what does that mean like I wonder what that's going to lead to and in retrospect like that was such an interesting, like, sort of obvious hint that, like, huh? I guess that's what I guess that's what this was leading to.
2: <laughs> yeah, the line is really heavy, but his face is kind of deadpan when he says it. And the thing is, is that he's not even uh, Marco's clone. He's just like somebody he thought was going to end up being his heir, and it wasn't his heir because uh, Luca wasn't "quote unquote" the first son that he thought he had. So it was, like, clear in that moment that, like, he just did not care. I feel like that meeting was in- presented in such a way where it was, like, the f- the subtleness of the Japanese language where it's, like, they're saying one thing and meeting, like, more. Um,
1: yeah. I think it was also just a formality to trick Ares' foster mother as well. Since she's the only parent who's not in on the conspiracy.
2: Yeah. So, like, Ares' mother is the only one that's not into, Though, uh... Uh, I forgot her name, like, whoever, um, the crow, whoever the woman was uh, who was pretending to be Shars' mother, um, she didn't really seem to care all that much either. Yeah. <laughs> which was weird to me. Uh, and she didn't even really, if you looked at her, she didn't look like Shars. She didn't even look like Shars.
1: <laughs> yeah. Very subtle tale there that the parents did not really care about what just happened to their children. And were in fact just putting on an act to fool Aries's mom.
0: And and see, I, I I know Marlene. You said you kind of, you kind of knew from the beat. You kind of caught on from the beginning that the killer was going to be Charse. I I don't know what you thought, Sid, but um, it was it was because at the time Ares was the only one who wasn't a clone. That that like seemed like her mother was actually her biological mother especially because of, like, how she reacts compared to all the other parents um, of their clones or whatnot. I kind of thought for a second that Ares could be the killer. I never really suspected Ares because she seemed too honest.
2: I didn't think it would be her just because she's the narrator.
1: And yeah, also because she's the perspective character. And it certainly would have been an interesting twist to have our perspective character turn out to be the bad guy all along. But I didn't see that happening because of the way Ares was written. And because I had seen Marlene and Annalisa heavily suspect Charles on Twitter and in the chapter comment sections, so I was starting to lose trust in him as well. I remember when the chapter came out where Ares was like, Hey, Charles, is there something you're not telling us? I have photographic memory, but I don't remember seeing you in my biology class at all. And I remember going on Twitter and tweeting, Oh my god, Marlene was right! Even though, of course, you know, not yet. Not yet. But you were right, eventually.
2: Yeah, and I wasn't even actually right yet at that point. But (laughs) yeah, no, even I was like, oh my god, I think I'm right. And the thing is, is that like, even though he he like, quote unquote, settled that mystery, it wasn't like actually, like, it it was settled too easily. It's like, oh, yeah, here's my excuse. And it's like, okay, like, I, I don't know. It just, to me, it never really, there was always just something off about Shars in the end. In the way that that arc ended, everyone else's like character arcs ended like really like happily where they're like, like, oh yeah, now I'm like gonna change or now I can be myself or whatever. And Shars is just ended with him gloomy in his room. And I'm like, like, this is different. Um. But Shar's, sure, sure, I don't know. Maybe it's because I subtly like, understood like Shinohara Sensei's writing, or I don't know. At first, I, my reasons for her being Shar's 2 changed constantly as well, to be completely honest. Um, at one point, um, I had the idea that a lot of Shinohara Sensei's characters always looked very unique from each other, and the only time they don't is when they're related. And so I thought that Shars looked very similar to the teacher, and that was the first thing that tipped me off, which I should I should have realized with Kitari and <laughs> with that logic, Kitari and Phoenicia. Um it's the whole Basu and Subaki thing. Um and then uh next it came to like how he kind of subtly undermined Kanata at every turn. Like it wasn't it like at first it seemed like, oh, he's just playfully being like Shars, and then it was really like, Oh, he's kind of like Taking charge and steering the group in certain directions, and he's kind of like their survival is hinging on this character who is just crazy. He seemed off, and then I don't know. I don't know why. Like, my reasons kept changing for him, and I can't say, like, oh yeah, I was 100% right it was him because of this. I was, I just, he always seemed off to me in some way or another, so that's why I thought it was him.
1: Yeah, I remember your initial theory was that Charles was related to Kanata's teacher, and since Kanata's teacher sacrificed himself to save Kanata, Charles was trying to avenge him by sabotaging the camping trip and killing Kanata.
2: Yeah, or like, or like his cousin or whatever. Like that was like my early Wyatt Charles theory kind of thing. Like my reasons for it being him changed many times, but it was always him. And also maybe it's cuz I just really liked him but like it was also pretty clear which characters got more focus as well. It's like it's like okay, these characters are more important. Um like even like in Dance, it's like oh, these schoolmates are like more important than these other ones even if they aren't in the Skeet dan kind of thing.
0: I'm just glad it didn't turn out to be Olgar cuz like this is I the I mean se- that was too obvious. <laughs> yeah. I completely dismissed the possibility of
1: Olgar being the traitor once he revealed his backstory and motives in his confrontation with Luca. At that point, it seemed like all his cards were laid out on the table, and there were no secrets left to inert with him. But with Charles, when we get his first backstory, it's not under the same kind of circumstances we receive the other characters' backstories, and it doesn't immediately tie into addressing and resolving his character arc. It doesn't feel like he's ready to move forward and take charge of his life, like how other characters become rejuvenated after sharing theirs. At the conclusion of his backstory, we see him secluded in his room, sad, apologizing to Sarah. So you know there has to be something more to this, more to his past that we aren't being told yet. So there were more reasons to suspect him out of all the characters. By the time we reach Charles' first backstory, we know what's up with everyone else. So he was the most suspicious, and therefore the most likely candidate to be the traitor.
0: I, I, I need to I need to learn to stop doubting Shinohara because I I talked about this on the last episode too. When when I first got into the sket dance, uh, part part of the reason people really liked it so much was because of the backstories of uh. Uh, of the Skeptan, and I was legitimately wondering like uh are, are these really as good as people say they are and obviously I was proven wrong and now in this case I'm like man I really hope it doesn't turn out to be Olgar that's too easy and then I was proven wrong so clearly I just need to never never uh doubt Sheenahar ever again because he doesn't usually steer me wrong
2: <laughs> I never suspected Olgar um I think Olgar was clearly a red herring, but also in the sense that, like, you knew he had issues, but it didn't seem like his issues. W- like, ow, that's my leg, buddy. Um, so sorry, my dog literally just sits on my leg, like, like it's the floor. Um, and so, like, when it ow, when it comes to um, Wolgard, like anybody who was the one who was planning on killing everyone snooping around the ship while the knowledge is known that like there's somebody who's the killer like that's just too obvious like olgar clearly had issues but his issues were also clearly separate from what was ever going on like like he was too obvious pretty Um, much uh,
0: um but man i really um i i really i really like that uh the reveal for Charse, because like
2: it was so emotional
0: <laughs> yeah especially when like i think the part that like cuz i i'll i'll admit i i mean obviously ske dance makes me cry at a lot of points i didn't i didn't like tear up as much during astra but you know that that, that doesn't mean that uh, you know there aren't any of those classic like uh shinahara like emotional highs like that's kind of what i come to his works for at this point um I, I think it's when, um, it's when everybody's trying to chip away at Charles, trying to convince him to, you know, to, to, to live, his, to live life for himself and not just be, not, not just follow orders from the king or whatever. Especially when Yunhua, um, like when she says, like, you know, if I can change, so can you. Like, I think that actually kind of broke me.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I obviously wasn't able to talk. Like, at that point, we were simul and I'd already read the chapter. And like I I'd cry- I was like crying every week around then.
0: Like I'd get the
2: chapter and I'd like be sitting at my desk reading Like, I looked forward to Astra every time that the files came in. I was like like I would always be like, Andy are they in yet? Yeah, Andy are and the files in like I wanted to read it so badly and then I'd read it and I sit there and I'd cry <laughs> like and then I'd message Annalisa and spoil stuff so that I didn't have to feel angry on my own. Like <laughs> Like Annalisa, this happened. She's like, let me read it. <laughs> like, I didn't want to feel sad on my own. <laughs> so. Yeah,
0: I mean, honestly, I think it's it, like that portion of the series past Charles's reveal. I think is probably some of my favorite stuff in the entire series. Like, like, like from the re- from the reveal to. Them trying to win Chars back on their side to trying to convince him, like, hey, yeah, like, what, like, were those, were all those emotions you felt, like, with us, like, journeying with us, like, were, were those fake? Like, you totally, like, you totally enjoyed spending time with us and everything. And then Kanata rushing in to save Chars from, uh, from the wormhole and losing an arm in the pro. I was not, I was not expecting that. That's pretty, um, it's pretty brutal for, uh, for a Shinahara manga. Yeah. I
2: also just, like, but the president of the entire series like that was probably the most graphic part of the whole series um there was never really like any like big injury like people got sick or whatever or like they almost like or luca and Olga almost drowned but no one like like risked losing a limb before admittedly like when i'm looking at it i was just like kanasa why did you stick your hand out like like, why? Like, what did you think that was going to do? Like,
0: it's like, were, were you were you going to punch the orb? Like, I get it. You want to save yeah. your friend, but, like, you got to think some of this stuff through. And also, I couldn't, like, I I think um, the most unintentionally, like, funniest page in the entire manga is that two-page spread of just his lone arm in, in the deep reaches of space was, like.
2: No. You know where it is? No. His lone arm above Earth. His lone oh, arm huh. floating, because that's the only place that the wormhole lets out. That's it lets true. Out above Earth, so his lone arm is literally just floating up above us right now. Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> if it hasn't
0: frozen and decayed by
1: this point,
0: as soon as I saw that, I just I couldn't stop myself from giggling. Like, pff, like this is this is some JoJo shit right here. Like, <laughs> well, the
2: part I laughed at was like, okay, I'm obviously like Fujo JoJo. Fujo sh- Crap, and so like <laughs> he's just sitting there, like like does in like Shars's arms, and he's just like you're my right hand now, and I'm like, okay, buddy, okay.
0: <laughs> and on <laughs> that day, a thousand doujinshi were were uh, drawn and written.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I was just like sitting there reading that, like I approve, like <laughs> th- I admit that there were times when I've worked on stuff where I may have been like, oh, uh, if like. I it, some of it wasn't like that it wasn't like intentional but I'd look at something that like Adrian would put in a script and I'd be like eh, that's funny <laughs> like, <laughs> like it wouldn't be something that I did I know that there was one time actually like Andy and Lexi I think got pretty upset about something that was not upset they were just like why did you do that and I'm like looking at what they're talking I got and I didn't do anything right And they were just reading it as though like I intentionally worded something some way And I was looking, and they were like, why did you, like, like, don't do that. I'm like, I don't know what you're even talking about right now. So apparently, like, they were the ones thinking that I did something, and they were reading into something that wasn't even intentional. Though, if anything, it was that translator who did that, too. (laughs) Like, the line made sense as is kind of thing. But, like, there was just times where I got scripts for Astro where I'm like, heh. And this feeds my, my fijo Fijo bait. Whatever. <laughs> Which is funny because, like, I didn't write it that way. My translator put it that way. And I was just like, okay, this is funny. Like, in my head, and I keep going, obviously. I, I did change some of it, obviously. But my dog is trying to eat a hat. Don't eat a hat. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> I guess, um,. I really wish, and see, part part of the reason I I, I like as much as um, as much as I like Astro Lost in Space, I feel kind of bad because I mean I don't know about I don't know about you guys, but like I I'm at a I'm at a loss here because like I feel like like I, as much as I like it, I don't feel like I can talk about Astra as much as I can sketch dance because it is such a short series that and like you know there's so much that happens and so much that's revealed over the course of the series about. You know, Earth and like, wh- and like the just the setting in the world of Astra is so like perfectly like connected and succinct, and it's just I'm I'm like kind of in a like I don't have anything to say about the world building of Astra other than it's amazingly well done, and I uh, she like I have to like hats off to Shinahara, like I I don't think like I I can't, I can't imagine writing something this like complex and detailed like you know when when i when i read stuff like this in one piece it's like i I just read this and think like i could never write something like this i could never keep track of all this detail
1: (laughs) i love all the alien worlds they visited especially Shumor, the one with the mushrooms it was really interesting to see how well thought out that ecosystem was where fungi were the apex predators in its food chain
0: Yeah, that was probably the most interesting planet they visited, honestly.
2: Yeah, Yeah.
1: and the whole conspiracy with Earth really impressed me. The world building and lore is just incredible. Towards the end of the series, they have to devote an entire chapter just to explain the entire backstory of the world, and it's really fascinating. And what I was really enthralled by was this idea of erasing history. That people have been raised to not think about the past, to forget about it and focus on the present. And because of that, they are disconnected from their heritage. They don't know where they came from. They don't know the history of the world they live in. This erasure of history, divorcing context from the things we see and just accepting what they are on the surface... Taking their existence and presence in our lives for granted, it's a very postmodern team. And even though Astra takes place over a century in the future, in a fantastical sci-fi setting, this idea is very relevant to our present day circumstances. There are a lot of people who live their lives without a firm grasp of history. They don't know the past of the place they live. They don't know the history of the things they use or interact with in their daily lives. They don't know how these things came to be. And that's what causes people to keep making mistaken assumptions or have misunderstandings about what is supposed to be natural or normal. Many people are disconnected, perhaps even alienated, from the world around them. I have lived in the same house for over 15 years, but I don't know how that house was built or who owned it previously. I don't know how my city was named. I don't know why it's called Eden Prairie. And I feel like that kind of sentiment is normal. I think if you ask the average person why the city that they lived in is the, is named the way it is, or how it was founded, they couldn't tell you. You ask someone how their house was built, who built it, and the history of that, blank stairs. These should be small, personal details, stuff people should know about because it's a part of their daily lives, and if we don't feel obligated to know simple stuff like that, then it becomes easier to ignore the bigger, but less personally relevant stuff. So the sentiment that we shouldn't worry about the past, that it doesn't matter and we should focus on the present, well, there's danger in that. And this is the message I think Shinohara is trying to convey. For the sake of creating a utopia, the founders of Aster chose to erase important parts of the history of their world. It raises a question. They might have created a more peaceful world in doing that, but was it the right thing to do to rob people of their heritage? Is it right to have people focus on the present when in the future they might end up making the same mistakes again without the experiences of the past to warn them against taking those course of actions? Can humanity truly grow if they don't have ground to stand on? Can the future be made without the past to support it? I was really impressed in the way Shinohara brought up this idea in the series in defining the backstory of his world and how he tied it in thematically with the characters' experiences. They all have a lot of baggage in their past that informs who they are, And what they realize throughout the series is that they have to learn from those experiences, no matter how unpleasant or traumatic, and use the knowledge that they've gained from those hardships to grow from them and become better people. Shinohara really expresses that theme of learning from the past to create a better future very cohesively in every aspect of the manga, from the characters' arcs to the world-building and the overall storytelling really diving in deep to pick apart that question of what is best for the world. I'm really fascinated by that idea. And I think Shinohara explored it extremely well.
2: Yeah, I think like, the idea of having to erase the past to create peace is really interesting, because it was really relevant, like, I think it was referred to as like the age of terrorism, but that's like clearly our, our era, essentially. Like, they're referring to what was our time and like as this whole, like the, the manga explores what is what we're living now and like the problems with the world. And it's like to escape what our horrible existence is right now, we literally erased like the, in the future, they erase like countries, languages, religion all these other things to create this fake utopia of where nothing is wrong because we're all the same. But at the same time, it's like, and what's really interesting is the second the can of worms opened, the manga says the second everybody realized the truth, everyone started fighting again. Like, like riots broke out, violence broke out, all this other stuff happened that was like insane. And I think that after Lost in Space while obviously taking place in the future, is a really good commentary on the present and, like, the dangers of, like, the world that we live in and how far people are willing to go to just, like, have, be right, essentially. Because uh, it says, like, they they created these wormhole technologies to save humanity, and immediately after, people started killing each other with them. Like, immediately after these wormholes were created to, like, help people get to these new planets, people started to use the wormholes to kill each other. Immediately. And that's, like, such a... It, like, like if this were to happen nowadays, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised if that's how how something like that would be used. And so, in the end, like, Astra also becomes a commentary on, like, man's relationship with the technology that we live with. and. Um, the responsibility we have towards like humanity and the world that we live in and the people we live around and you have the ability to do these horrible like the country has the ability to do these horrible things but will they do the horrible things or will they use their their power to make the world a better place and ha- make strive towards an actual peace rather than an artificial peace, where where it's like oh let's just pretend none of this bad stuff ever happened kind of thing
1: And there are no easy answers to their situation. Even by telling the truth, not all the problems are solved in the world. Arguably, it might have worsened since international wars were restarted. But they came to the decision that it was more important not to forget the past and erase humanity's mistakes. And because of that, there's now the possibility of learning from the warp technology and using it responsibly to better the world. So these themes of historical erasure through censorship and cultural erasure through globalization are important things to talk and think about. How we use technology responsibly is especially prescient, especially in regards to the cloning subplot and the concept of breeding clones to be spare bodies for harvesting organs or to transplant yourselves in order to attain pseudo-immortality. The ethics of this are already being discussed as we find ourselves on the precipice of turning what is it was once another far-flung sci-fi idea into reality? It is something that's currently being debated and worried about, so Aster's themes are very relevant to the conversations we're having now about the state of our world and its future.
2: Yeah, what's really funny is that, like, in one review I saw that someone's like, oh, year 2063, like, all of this is impossible, like, that soon. This is so manga gear, whatever, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, one, a lot of the technology present is actually, like, being worked on now, and two, like, read the whole series, because you'll be surprised about the year 2063. Like, it's not all you think it is, like... Like, that's what you're told and you're taking it at face value, then you're not reading Shinohara's writing correctly. Um, Yeah, Yeah,
1: I mean, I've definitely been disappointed with some of the reviews I've read that are dismissive of the series' premise and its world. And I definitely think that it's a series that is very smartly plotted and has really unique perspectives on some really complex themes. And that makes for a truly great sci-fi manga that has all the makings of classic sci-fi stories. It explores man's relationship with the universe around them and with technology. It's a truly genuine sci-fi experience.
2: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It's obviously, and I've said it many times, like one of the best things I've worked on. I think people look at it and they're like, putting classic shonen jump logic to it where they're like oh it's short oh yeah oh it's a shonen manga or whatever and they jump to a conclusion on it that's not accurate and i feel like if that was your immediate thought reading either like the first page or the description or seeing the chapter count i really think that um you should reconsider that perspective i mean obviously we just spoiled the whole thing but um like uh I mean, or if you have a friend who's saying something like that, like, they should really reconsider, obviously, because they're taking what they're seeing at face value. And astral loss in space is much more than just what's on the surface, because what's on the surface isn't always what's actually happening.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of perspectives that I've seen in reviews have been judging it based on it being a Shonen Jump manga, and what limited knowledge they might have about Skit Dance, simplifying everything down to surface-level observations about tropes and character archetypes without digging deeper into what Shinohara is actually writing. Shinohara certainly borrows familiar elements. But there's so much more to the series than those foundational concepts. I think it's important to treat it as its own work, divorced from this assumption of what a Shonen Jump manga is and can be. To get away from this idea that all Shonen Jump manga are universally designed to run for a long time and always possess a certain stock set of characters, because that's just a reductive way of looking at a series. You're going to miss the forest for the trees if you assume what a series is like before you read it and stubbornly refuse to engage with the text with an open mind. If you read it as its own work, you are going to find a really richly detailed sci-fi manga with incredibly nuanced characters, excellent world building, and very complex and well-developed teams. And I think that wraps up our thoughts on sket dance. I mean, sket dance. You said Astra. Sket dance. <laughs> Sorry, sket dance was last time. Yes, i have still got it on
0: God, the brain. God said you 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 go on about divorcing things from things. You clearly cannot divorce the idea of sket dance from Astra.
2: I just can't divorce sket dance from life. It always comes back somehow. Um. No,
0: like look. I totally can understand that feeling. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but no. This is the end of our Astro Lost in Space discussion, an incredible manga that we can't recommend enough. But before we totally close off the show, we need to answer some questions that we got from our Reddit listeners. We only have three questions, so hopefully this won't take too much time. But they're also interesting questions that are worth having a conversation about. So our first question is from Tobira1, who asks... I heard Shinohara redid some pages specifically for the movie's graphic novels. What specifically did he redraw and in which chapters?
2: Um, in Volume 2, you'll notice um, so he had these rectangular white blocks that were uh, I need to pull up the chapters. I'm trying to remember exactly how it was, but essentially it was laid out in such a way that the only way we could have this text exist was if We had the both the Japanese and English on the page and I didn't really want to do that. And so, um, on a not on a whim, but like pretty much like praying to whatever. Like I was just like, oh my god, I hope this works out. I was just like, okay, let's try asking to see what we can do about getting a page that would make it so that we didn't have to use the English or the the um the Japanese with the English. Because it just ended up being that it was impossible to lay it out otherwise. And, um, without having, like, uh, white blocks. So he, like, white blocks of nothing. And it was just weird and cutting into the art. So, oh yeah, now I remember he had, like, pill, like the, the caption box in the art that was flat along with, um, a rectangular indent that would have the, another lyric. So it had the Japanese and then the English translation of the Japanese. And it was his English, so that wasn't something we put there. And so we actually ended up getting new pages that remove the caption box and just has the place for the lyrics to go. And it's in volume two towards the end when Yunfa is singing. Um, and actually after that, strangely enough, in like chapter 45, he didn't ever laid out the text like that after that.
1: Interesting. Um, he, wow. we
2: never ran into that problem again. Um, I think Sasaki-san said, has said it too, that like, Shinohara-sensei is aware of his, in, the English readers of Astra and the fact that it's in English. And so I find it interesting that he did that. Wow. Um, but yeah, for volume two, you'll notice that the page is are slightly different for when Yumpa is singing at the end.
1: Very cool. I'm definitely looking forward to reading through that. Now, moving on, our second question comes from RC93, who asks, What motivated Shinohara-sensei in making a manga that deviated so much from his previous work? Unfortunately, we don't have Shinohara-sensei on our podcast, and we can't really answer for him, but we can make some guesses. I think that Shinohara just wanted to try out something new and tell a different kind of story from what we before in sket dance with a different genre and a different kind of storytelling style. I think a lot of mangaka want to try and do something different with their sophomore series, especially if they had been doing their first work for such a long time. I would guess that Shinohara wanted to try and shake things up and write a different kind of series to challenge himself creatively.
2: Yeah, I, I can't answer for Shinohara-sensei either.
1: And our final question comes from Dono Fano, who touches upon something we talked about earlier when it comes to misconceptions about the series. He asks, Was there another ending planned for Astral in Space? Because from his understanding, it was axed. But the ending, while it felt rushed to him, wasn't as bad as it could have been. He thought it was a good way to end the series, so was there a plan for a different ending before it was axed? And another question, what is our personal opinion on the cancellation of manga and the subsequent rushed endings that they then receive? Do you as an editor feel that the massive amount of cancellations that seem to be rampant in this industry have any sort of reflection on the industry itself? So, to address the first part of his question, Aster was not actually cancelled. I feel that's pretty clear just from the way the series plays out. It had a natural ending. I think this ties back into misconceptions about what constitutes a successful manga, particularly a successful Shonen Jump manga. Some people expect successful Shonen Jump series have to run for dozens of volumes and can't fathom that they can just publish shorter but still complete works, which really is not that uncommon.
0: This is also something that didn't even run in, like, jump like re- you know regularly this was this was specifically jump plus which you know is is a is sort of a digital edition of shonen jump but with like you know s- like web exclusive stuff but the point being yeah,
2: yeah. can i say something sure on this specifically uh shonen jump plus has what's great about it is unlike print um digital allows for as much content as digital allows for which is theoretically infinite um so when it comes to the shonen jump itself is very competitive as a magazine there's only so much space in it shonen jump plus on the other hand um like if something sucks in there they'd probably like this is just my guess if something sucks in there they'd probably like not continue it um but like in the case of astra like was there another ending plan for astra i don't know um but I wouldn't say that it was cancelled, only just as a, from a reader's perspective. The story was, they needed to get back to their planet, and this was how they were going to do it.
1: Yeah, the Astro Crew's goal from the beginning is that they have to stop on these five planets on their way home. And they did exactly that. They visited each of the five planets, had an adventure on each one, and then went home. We didn't skip over any of that.
2: Yeah, and I don't feel like... If the manga were to continue, for example, I don't think it would really be Astra lost in space. It'd be probably be called, like, Astra back on Astra, or, like, Astra lost on Astra, or something like... Anyway, it that would joke. be Attack I on don't. Astra,
1: because it'd be just like that arc of Attack on Titan, where they don't fight Titans, but they stage a political coup to overthrow the government, which was a long and terrible arc that no one liked.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like, like it's not like that. Um As for cancellation on manga though like i i don't know where you're thinking there's mass cancellation of manga um like things just yeah you know, for starters things just end <laughs> like for that's, that's, that's like one part of it eventually so what, what starts must end like that's just it's just the fact of things um
0: i mean granted like it, you know it, a, lo- a lot of then, a lot of stuff and uh, not like a lot but you know, every once in a while, there are series and jumps that in jump that do get axed because obviously, you know, it doesn't resonate with readers and nobody's reading it. It doesn't sell well or nothing. Eventually, stuff does yeah. get canceled, and it, it like it feels like that happens a lot. But like Marlene said, like think sometimes things just have an end, and that's like that's totally yeah, natural.
1: I feel a lot of people have this disbelief that a series can just end. They think that a series has to run on forever until it gets cancelled. But that's simply not true. Most series end because the author had a plan for their ending and felt ready to end things when the time was right. Not every series was cut short.
0: Yeah.
2: Also, though, it's strange to me that people specifically use the word cancelled because, like, yes, if something is, like, 13 chapters, like, or 7 to 13 chapters in shonen jump and like one volume's worth of whatever or whatever it is for that like yeah it got probably was canceled uh just because of low rankings or whatever and that's just the nature of a very competitive magazine um and uh but like something like Toriko, for example, or Bleach, I don't see where the word cancel has ever been really explicitly used. It seems like it's a concept that the fans use. Um,
1: And Kubo specifically said he ended Bleach when he wanted to. People just assumed otherwise.
2: Yeah, people assume that things...
0: can like, I can I just um, throw this um, out there? I'm no, I'm sorry. I don't mean yeah. to interrupt. I want to throw this out there. I feel like people. I pe. I feel like people throw out that word "canceled" when they don't like uh, when they don't like the ending of a series. They just assume that oh it, well they totally didn't want to end it this way. It was obviously canceled. Like I unfortunately I've talked to a lot of people who who are fans of Bleach who are not satisfied with the ending of Bleach that. Are just so angry at like Shonen Jump and Shueisha at Viz and just assume that like, oh, Bleach got the short end of the stick. It was obviously canceled. Why bring back Bleach? Like I remember there was a lot of anger over that ending for Bleach from at least in my circles anyway. Um, and it's just, it's ridiculous.
1: It was fueled by these very ill-informed reactions, comments taken out of context and a lot of mm-hmm. assumptions. Many of us enjoyed Super Patch Wolf's video when it came out, but in hindsight, that downfall of Bleach video he did was simply incorrect in asserting the series ended due to a lack of popularity when a few months later Ty Cubo divulged that he was the one who wanted it to end the way it did and when. And then in 2016 people were freaking out and making wild speculations on why so many long running series were ending that year, when in reality it was all just coincidence. It wasn't a reflection of any big agenda on Jump's part. Those series just all naturally came to end during the same time. No, no no no. Sid, it's it's clear
0: time. it's clearly because Shonen Jump is trying to get rid of all their old stuff so they can get new stuff that people actually like. Or I
2: don't know, it's a conspiracy. It's the Illuminati guys. Um, it's
0: the Illuminati sponsored know, like, by Taco Bell.
2: <laughs> like for example, like Assassination Classroom, Nisekoi, Bleach, and Toriko. I, I think I now I think about it like uh those four series in Toriko all ended around the same time. I think that might be what they're referring to in this question. Um but like Assassination Classroom's ending was really solid. Nisekoi's ending was really solid. Bleach's ending was solid. Toriko's ending made me cry so much, but it was solid. <laughs> yeah. Uh like I don't think that reflects really anything. I think it's just, I don't know. Like, I, I honestly can't say, um, I can say like my opinion. I don't think that throwing around the world word canceled is always the correct assumption. Um, like, I feel like fans are very set in the terminology that they make for themselves and to discuss series a certain uh, way. Yeah. But like, it's your assumption. I mean, I, I personally can't say one way or another what Shueisha was thinking. I don't know. Um, I don't know. If I did know, I probably wouldn't say it anyway. Cause I can't. But like, I mean, hey. here's
0: the thing. I, I, f- I think between the three of us, we've all probably read enough canceled comics of jump to pick up on when uh, when something suddenly ends, like. Okay, this was this was clearly this was cr- clearly rushed out the door. Like, I think I think we're all pretty capable of of reading into that kind of thing pretty well. And I mean, as far as Astra goes, like, yeah, no, Astra, I'm pretty sure like ended the way it needed to and should have. Like, it felt pretty natural to me. Like, what what else is there to cover? Like, they got back home, and you know, yeah, like yeah. every everything's I know pretty resolved. Some
1: people would have like have seen a longer arc on Astra where they would try and expose what their parents did to them and reveal the truth to the world. But honestly, that didn't need to be a whole arc. The point of Astra was the journey home and the characters becoming friends, and that had already been accomplished. The climax of the manga was when Charles revealed himself as a traitor, and they all had that big moment trying to reach out to him. Kanata sacrificing his arm to save Charles, and Charles realizing that there are people who care about him and his life has value. That was the climax of the manga, and the rest was the annoyment. Wrapping the loose ends and giving all the characters closure to the stories. We didn't really need to see a long arc about them exposing the parents and revealing the lost history, because we already had resolved the stuff that was really important. And it was satisfying.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, it had a beginning, middle, and end, and... And that's... That's it. Like, if that's the manga. There's pl- been plenty of really good... Sh- Short manga. But, but
0: no, because it didn't run for th- at least 300 chapters, it got cancelled, obviously.
2: Apparently so. <laughs> I don't know. Like I don't know. Like, if you sit down and actually read Ashra, you'd be like, okay, this manga's solid. Yeah, it's really obvious when something is, like, one volume long or whatever, one or two volumes long, and like, it's set up to have this whole story, and then it gets cut off or whatever. Then, like, yeah, maybe it was cancelled. But, like, I think the thing that this fan is discussing... Uh, I don't know. It doesn't seem right. Like that. Like, reading that question, I was like, I don't know what you're even talking about. So,
1: yeah. Um, I mean, Dano says it was from his understanding, which tells me that there's just a lot of misunderstanding about what it means for a series to end in a natural way, as opposed to being cut short because of editorial decisions, and how to recognize that. To get over this idea that a manga being short means it was cancelled. Because there's plenty of great short manga out there. A manga doesn't need to be long to tell a complete and fully realized story.
2: I think, like, other good short manga, like, a silent, like, this isn't a viz manga, but, like, a silent voice is really short, but it's really good. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And a silent voice ran and released Shonen Magazine. The magazine best known for Fairy Tale and especially Hajime no Ippo, one of the longest running manga of all time. It ran us alongside manga that had been running for decades, but a silent voice just ran for a little over a year and told a complete, fully realized, and satisfying story. Enjoy good manga. Don't worry about whether it was cancelled or not. Enjoy the story as it is. Take it as it is. Judge it on the content that's there and not on the stuff that isn't. Don't worry about the meta of its production history. Sometimes that's fun. It can be an important context to consider in certain respects. But this idea of, oh, this didn't do something I wanted or expected it to do before it ended. Was this cancelled? That's unhelpful and reductive. Again, you are missing the forest for the trees when you do that.
0: Like, you know, in, in my opinion, there are some series where, like, you can clearly tell something was rushed, but then, like, other times you could tell, like, it, like some, sometimes I feel like it's obvious, but then again, like, you know, like, like we're saying, it, it doesn't really matter in the long run. Whether a thing ends or not, no matter the circumstances, th- things end eventually,
2: Yep, (laughs) everything comes to an end at some point in some way. Just Um, like this
1: podcast.
0: uh, Like life. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much
1: (laughs) for joining us for this incredibly long, but incredibly fun and informative podcast, Marlene.
2: Yeah, no, no problem, you guys. I'm sorry, I'm bad at talking and rambling. And you're going to hear like lots of on um, like my end of the audio, like talking to my dog, like, it's okay, buddy. Or like, no, no, Toma. <sighs> and uh, my dog has been pretty bad. I do apologize. And his squeaky toys and his antler. So thank you so much, you guys.
0: <laughs> and that's going to be about it for our Astro Loss in Space review. Again, a uh, big thanks to Marlene for coming on the show and discussing the series with us and really just having a great conversation overall. I really liked learning about her, uh, her work experience and, uh, I really enjoyed talking about Astra and even some sketch dance in there every once in a while with her. So, uh, thank you, Marlene. Hopefully we can have her on the show again at some point. Um, so. Uh, if you want to follow Marlene on Twitter, you can follow her at Michi first, that's M-I-I-C-H-I first, uh, the, the number one S-T, uh, is how you write that, um, and you can also follow her on Twitch, uh, and watch her rage at video games at twitch.tv slash Michi, um, so those are fun every once in a while, sometimes I kind of poke in there a little bit, um, but, uh, yeah, so definitely go follow, uh, Marlene and, uh, you know, uh, s- support her work. Um, I think recently she just finished a lot of work on, uh, Q. uh, for those who may not know or don't remember, uh, it, it, or they, they might be done at this point. I don't know because I don't really keep up with Haikyuu as much. Um, uh, at some point Viz started releasing a vo- a one volume of Haikyuu every month to kind of catch up with the japanese release of the series and uh marlene has pretty much been doing a lot of the work on that as uh as i understand correctly so uh and i think uh toriko actually uh she just finished work on that if i understand correctly uh so definitely go support the series that she works on uh including Astro Lost in space definitely go support Astro Lost in space if you want more kentoshina works possibly to come over here in english um Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll leave links to where you could buy Astra and, uh, you know, Marlene's stuff on the internet and whatnot. Um, but, uh, you know, as for us and the rest of the podcast, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at StiverKing323. Um, I do a whole ton of manga threads. I've really kind of gone down the manga thread rabbit hole. I'm reading a, a ton of series, um, uh, f- mostly for this podcast, I'm again. I'm really just trying to, uh, I'm really just trying to get a head start on a lot of the stuff I'm reading. Um, uh, so again, that's at SniperKing323. If you want to follow me. Um, and keep up with whatever I'm reading. Um, you can also follow Sid at Yasha on Twitter. And so uh, I guess I should also talk about some of the At Movies podcasts he's been putting up. Uh, I don't think we've mentioned it on here yet, but um, we uh, we actually had an episode of At Movies, including myself and my friend Doctor from the Ask Backwards Anime Podcast and Just a Gintama Podcast, where we all talked about our experience uh, watching the live-action Gintama movie, um that actually got a theater release over here um so that that one's that that episode's a bit old at this point but you know it's still a still a good time i really enjoyed talking about the movie with uh uh with Sid and doctor and i thought we had a really good discussion on the movie and uh and how it's probably one of the better live action movies of in in terms of like anime adaptations to ever be produced really like it's just and you know the people who listen to this podcast know how i feel about live action adaptations of anime so um I think it's really good and, and not just because it's, uh, Gintama. It, it's like, it's actually a really good adaptation of the, of the material it's set out to do. But anyway, you, you could listen to that episode. And, uh, I think Sid and VLORD also recorded an episode about the Oscars and their predictions. Um, which I guess led to Sid recording a three hour podcast about something. Um, I, I don't think it's giving away anything. I think he recorded something about the Emoji movie. I don't know. Um, half the time, I don't really know what Sid or V-Lord are up to up there, especially since they haven't released a lot of their movies podcasts. Um, so it's, they, they do some funny stuff over there. Um, and I, I personally can't wait to listen to that. Um, and we'll definitely let you know when uh, uh, some of these podcasts are out. Um, but speaking of other podcasts, um, we have a lot of – different like uh manga mavericks episodes coming so on the next episode of manga mavericks which we do have recorded and i am going to be editing uh as soon as i can uh we uh, me sid and v lord actually go over our survey results from uh from the manga mavericks survey that sid put up a couple months back at this point um so if you happen to t- if you happen to have uh take that survey um big thanks to anyone who did uh, we really appreciate all your guys's feedback uh, Cause it really does help us kind of uh, consider how we can make the podcast better or, you know, what material we need to, we need to cover and whatnot. Uh, just, just what we, just how we can make the podcast better in general. Um, so we really do appreciate all your feedback. Um, we're going to be spending uh, quite a lot of time talking about that next episode, um, along with our thoughts on such uh manga works, such as now she call latest one shot, Ino Genten or starting point. I think that, uh, that was an issue of jump a little while back and as well as our thoughts on act age which was another jump start that ran along with uh Buzzy beats so if you're curious on what we think about both of those uh stay tuned for the next episode um and i think pretty much after that our plan after that episode is to basically catch up on all the news we haven't talked about because we've been really slacking on that and we felt that uh we should really kind of get back to that because we we pri- we used to primarily talk about news. We kind of want to keep doing that. Um, last time I talked to Sid, we had about 11 pages worth of news. And so that already kind of kills my soul on the inside because that that pretty much means we're probably going to have a very long episode just dedicated to news. Um, so if you're into that, great. If you're not, I'm sorry. But uh, after that, hopefully we're going to have an episode dedicated to talking about World Trigger. Um so yeah, um, pff, I'm looking forward to these next episodes of Manga Mavericks. I, I think you'll enjoy them. I know I will. Um, even if I'm really going to hate recording that really long news episode, but, but it, it'll still be fun. I don't want to make it sound like I'm completely detesting it. I don't know. I'm not doing a very good job of, uh, of talking right now. And I, I run multiple podcasts because that means something. Um, so anyway, let's just, let's just get on to the, other podcast stuff right start rambling for like another two hours um so if you want to find more of our podcasts you could do so over at all-comic.com that's where we post every episode first you can also follow all comic on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore uh, but if you want to follow manga mavericks specifically you want to follow us on twitter at manga underscore mavericks um and you can also follow us on tumblr at manga com and you can also subscribe to our youtube channel that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks please subscribe to that uh we're, we're always we're always looking for more people to subscribe to us and uh you know hopefully we'll just keep putting videos up on that on that site you know now that we're uh now that we're actually uh, releasing these episodes again um but if you want to email us about anything, uh email us about, you know, what you think about Loss in Space or Kantoshina Hara works in general. Um just what are you reading in general? What what uh what news do you want to hear us talk about on the show? Uh email us anything at manga mavericks at gmail.com and we'll read it on the show. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever they call this thing. I don't even know if they call it Apple Podcast. I just hear other people call it Apple Podcast, but I don't really know. Um, so yeah, um, thank you guys for being patient with us. Again, we were, we're sorry that this episode turned out to be, uh, released a lot later than we wanted it to, but, uh, we do have our next episode already recorded and we're going to hopefully have that up within the next two weeks here, maybe even sooner if I can, uh, you know, get my ass to work. Um, but, uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening to episode 43 of the Manga Mavericks podcast on allcomic.com and stay tuned next time for episode 44. Bye guys.